From JBLE Studios, you're listening to The Whole Picture, the military-produced podcast which reaches beyond the front gates. Each month, we choose a topic and bring you a variety of segments that fit within that theme. I'm Master Sergeant Benjamin Wilson, and I'm the producer for this month's episode, where we are talking about reality. We are going to take you everywhere from the virtual reality military trainers to a young woman who is dealing with the reality of leaving home for the first time. But first, Airman First Class Nicholas Myers is going to take us to a place where people spend their free time in an alternate reality. And they do this through live action role playing, or as it's more commonly known, LARPing. If you've never heard of LARPing, it involves players dressing up as characters they created and battling or questing with other LARPers. And they're limited only by their imaginations. They can be any creature, possess special powers, decide whether they're good or evil, and even develop backstories for the characters they portray. It's easy to see why it's appealing. In a very grassroots way, it's grown over the years. And as its popularity continues to grow, people are still surprised when they find someone who LARPs. They're even more surprised when they see that, despite what we might picture in our minds, the LARP community is comprised of just regular people who share a passion. People, a lot of times, when they envision LARPers, they think of, like, you know, basement-dwelling nerds that are, you know, hitting each other with, like, sticks or whatever. That is William Amarillo, a staff sergeant in the United States Air Force who's also the president of Legend LARP Incorporated. If you're surprised to hear the words sergeant, Air Force, and LARP used in the same sentence, you're not alone. Some of the initial reactions I get, especially from like the females, like, you LARP? Are you for real? And you're like, yeah, man, you know, I enjoy it. It's fun. But they, they, like, seldom ever do I tell them just how much of a passion it is for me. A passion he's pursued for close to a decade now. I started LARPing in the summer of 2007. I was 15 at the time. And uh, my friend had been doing it for about a year before that. And I was trying to hang out with him one day during the summer. And so I, I called him up and I asked him what they were doing. And they were hanging out in my other friend's backyard. So I went over and they were hitting each other with these weird like PVC pipes covered with pool noodles. And I was like, this is crazy. We fought all day and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I uh, haven't stopped since. I remember my very first thought was, because I thought this was like something that people my age did at the time, but it was mostly guys out there were like 25 to 30. So it was kind of like, oh, weird. <laughs> The origins of LARPing can be traced back to a man named Brian Weiss in 1977. He put out a call over WGBT radio in Maryland for an event he called Hobbit Wars. Hobbit Wars eventually grew over time into something called Dagohir, and as more people began to play, a rulebook was created to regulate the game. A man named Jim Heron Jr. took aspects of the Dagohir rulebook and started his own game called Amptgard which is now seen throughout countries like Canada, Japan, Croatia, Finland, Germany, Korea, Russia, and the United States. Its spread was due in large part to people like Sergeant Amarillo. Surprisingly enough, like the, the LARP community in and of itself started, it was very, it's still pretty much very underground, but the reason it actually expanded into like a national thing was because of the military. It started in Texas for, uh, with AmpGuard, and then as people PCS, they, they took the rule book with them, they started their own chapters, and those people made their own chapters, and then with the military, people PCS, the game started growing in and of itself. 
Most mornings I wake up and I don my uniform and I know who I am and what I'm going to get myself into that day. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to do what I have to do and then I'm going to go home. But once the colors, once I don my colors and I, you know, put my hood on and everything and I'm ready to go, I sign in and the moment I sign in, that mentality changes. I have, I suppose, two lives where I have to be somebody at work and I can be somebody in the game. So. And I, I, make a, I make a strong point to keep those two personalities completely separated because, like, I don't need <laughs> I don't need to be a knight in uh, in in the Air Force. I need to be I need to be an NCO. And yes, the game is based on personifying fiction, but the LARP community breaks down social barriers and influences the personal lives of players. A person who doesn't have much going on in their lives and they're not feeling very high and mighty about themselves will start to do this hobby and as their, their connections with other people will expand and as their uh, experiences you know, foster more and more opportunities to interact with other people, they actually do gain confidence in who they are as a person outside the game. Absolutely everybody, anybody can be welcomed. There was a wedding at one of the events of uh, these two transgendered females that got married together and like he's and my friend was like, man, anywhere else but a LARP, like this wouldn't be this wouldn't be as openly accepted. But everyone there was celebrating and having fun and drinking because these are all people that are part of our community. Like we welcome everyone from every walk of life because the more nerds there are to fight, the better. All that matters is that you're on the field with us and we're having fun. And I think that is like the singular most amazing aspect of it. The community not only fosters a culture of diversity and acceptance. It uses the platform of fantasy to bring together individuals who may have never met, and as they escape from the monotony of daily life, the experiences they share and the bonds they form are all real. It's something that I look forward to, that I was like, yeah, it's all right, you know, if I had a, a bad day or, you know, some stressors in my life, I can just go beat it out of somebody else. And they want me to, that's the best part. Like, yeah, come beat me up, like, that's fine. Larger events that are scattered throughout the year involves road trips and, and camping and uh, campfires. So it's just like, it takes you out of your regular daily grind and lets you just be somewhere and something else. And it just, you know, it's relaxing, stress-free. You've heard probably plenty of stories of people who sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons together and they have all these funny stories of stuff that never actually happened, but to them, those moments, those are real to them. Those are experiences that help bond them with the people around them. And you have that experience every single weekend that you go out and see a character. You can say that it didn't happen, but in, you know, the emotions that we felt at the time or the awesomeness of a certain action, like those things, they're real. It's just what I do, it's who I am, it's what I love. And I, I just, I think that's the largest thing that I have to my identity as a person. Those experiences help shape us as people. They are indeed the things which form our personalities and make us who we are. Senior Airman Christina Lacoste wouldn't be the person she is today if it weren't for the experiences she had during her sudden leap into adulthood. It's the time of year where I start reflecting on how long it's been since I graduated high school. It's been four years. To some, it may not seem that long, but to me, it seems like a lifetime ago. I'm a completely different person now. Joining the military changed me in so many ways, mostly for the better. I've experienced this harsh reality of being on my own and having to provide for myself, cooking for myself, doing my own laundry, so many things that I took for granted. 
I recently met with Rachel. Her dad retired from the Air Force, so she moved around quite a bit. Rachel graduated high school last year. I'm 18 years old. And you're currently in college? Yes, I'm actually a junior in college right now. Junior? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so you like took some extra steps like in high school? Or? Yes, um, kind of towards maybe my junior year in high school. I started a College Plus program and started earning credits. And I'm actually um, right now involved in an accelerated learning bachelor's degree program. So trying to earn credits faster so I can graduate by next year. Oh, wow. So tell me a little bit about your life growing up, like the military life, all that type of stuff. Yeah, so I always tell people that I had a really awesome childhood. Um, my dad being in the military, we moved around a lot. Um, we lived in Japan for the longest. We lived there for about seven years. Um, and while we were there, we also traveled a lot because, um, you know, we had that option for us because my dad was in the military. Um, so it was pretty awesome because I feel like I was exposed to a lot of different cultures growing up. So um, that I had a lot of experiences that a lot of kids maybe don't have, um, especially nowadays. So I think my childhood was very unique. And you were homeschooled? Yes, I was homeschooled from basically my whole life. So starting at first grade. So I only ever went to public school for kindergarten and first grade on all the way until I graduated high school. I was homeschooled. What was your perception of your life after you graduated high school versus how it is now? In high school, I was always just ready, um, especially towards my last couple of years, just ready for it to be over with. Um, I just wanted to graduate. Um, and I guess I always saw um, graduating high school, like in the movies, you go off to college and um, I thought it was gonna be like a big thing. And like, it's like, oh my gosh, I made it. Like I graduated and it was like, my life is gonna be completely different. And the reality of it was I woke up the next day and it was exactly the same. It was just kind of like, okay, what now? And I think that's how it is for most of us. We have this idea of what the real world will be like, even though we've been living it our whole lives. There's always this moment that hits you when you finally realize you're an adult on your own. Did you have one of those moments where you're just like, oh gosh, I'm an adult now. Like what moment was that? Oh yeah, it was when I started um, my first job actually. At first it was really like, um, it was very, like, okay, this is just a job. Like, I still felt like a teenager. But then it was like when I realized, oh, wait, you have a job and you have to do, you still have to do your homework. Like, you can't just shrug off your responsibilities. You have to work and you have to do school and you still have to take care of stuff at home. And it was kind of like, oh my gosh. And then, like, when I started driving, it was like, okay, now it's like, this is my responsibility sort of thing. So I definitely had that moment where I was like, oh man, I have adult responsibilities now when I couldn't sleep in until 12 o'clock anymore. I had to get up at 5 a.m. for work. That's kind of when it hits you. As I spoke more with Rachel, I realized she's not the average 18-year-old. She has so many goals and has already achieved way more than I ever did at 18, and probably more than I have currently. Most of my friends I graduated high school with are just now finishing up their four years of college, and she's almost done. You're like the most mature 18 year old I've ever met. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. But it, it actually makes this job so much easier for me. I was, you know, I was expecting, when I was thinking of this idea um, for finding someone who you know, recently graduated, I was expecting someone who like was lost, had no idea what to do with their life. Like, mm -hmm. you're so well put together. When you have to, when you're forced to um, constantly be making new relationships, um, 
you you kind of it does make you grow up you know it does mature you a lot um because you have to have this knowledge of I love these people but they're not always going to be there so it's like you have to make the most of each moment so that kind of forces you to grow up a little bit and handle situations more maturely and I feel like um that definitely contributed to my maturity levels as well um just like you know, being a nine-year-old kid and thinking, I can move in three years, this is my best friend, but I may never see them again. You know, the fact that a nine-year-old kid has to think that, I think that definitely forces you to grow up. Reality. Yeah, definitely. It's the reality of military life. Exactly. Senior Airman Jordan Garner is going to talk to us about a different kind of reality. Virtual reality. He is taking us to the Security Forces Squadron where they use training simulators to consistently reproduce scenarios they may encounter in the real world. So I am here with Senior Airman Vanley. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the weapon simulator and how Security Forces uses that in the real world. Uh, so tell me a little bit, uh, Airman Vanley, what is the purpose of using this weapon simulator? Uh, so basically what this is, it's a, a firearms training simulator or FATS machine as we like to call it around here. Um, it basically gives us a, a opportunity to train for realistic type situations um, without putting ourselves in those realistic type situations uh, in real life. But it does get as close as they can to uh, simulate those things in the real world. Um, anything from active shooters or uh, high risk traffic stops, anything that we might run into on a day to day basis here at Langley. This training system aims to be so realistic, they modify the weapons to feel as authentic as possible. It's completely wireless. Uh, they actually take actual real weapons and they, uh, they basically bore it all out, take all the extra scrap metal out of it, and then they fill it with uh, CPUs, sensors, everything like that. And then it actually runs off of compressed air. So you're gonna get those exact same feelings as firing a real gun, uh, aside from the, the noise from an actual round going off. Um, but you get the slide that goes back whenever you pull the trigger. Um, it knows exactly how many rounds that you should have in there, so it would simulate 15 rounds and before the slide locks back just like in a real weapon. The simulator is built to prepare the defenders for real-world situations. The toughest part is knowing the difference between simulation and reality. The hardest thing to get over for me was the, uh, like, you're yelling at a screen, so you're yelling at a person, so deep down you really do know that this person can't hear you but uh, the person that's operating the FATS machine still wants to see your command voice, see what you're, see uh, how you would uh, control yourself, control your suspect. And for that, once you get over that aspect and you know you just kind of let it go and uh, you understand what they're looking for, it's a lot easier to, to, to use the system. You investigate a call regarding a man with a pistol showing in his waistband. Let me see your hands. Sir, turn around. Let me see your hands. Take your hand out of your pocket slowly. Turn around from the sound of my voice. Do it now. Turn around. Put the gun down. Put the gun down. Drop the gun. Let her go. Back off. I'm killing. Let her go. Back off. Shut up. I'm 
it can get pretty intense. It can, yeah, it can definitely. Um, a lot of people sort of freeze up. They don't really know what to do. Um, you are talking or yelling at a screen, so that aspect of it is a little strange. Um, some people don't realize how timid they can get whenever, you know, even if it's not a real life on the line, um, the actors in the in the videos, uh, they do a pretty good job of making it feel as real as possible um, to real life. So it is literally getting you as close to the situation as possible without putting you in any kind of danger. Exactly. So after we talked about the simulator, I wanted to experience it for myself. And let's just say I'll be sticking with my current Air Force career. You are a passenger officer on routine patrol, stopping a possible warrant suspect at 225 White Oak Drive, Georgia. License 568-ABC, red F-250. Did I do something wrong, sir? Just come over and talk. Just yes. me from there. Did, uh, is it, did I do something wrong? Mr. Johnson, what did I tell you last week about taking care of the warrants? Look, I got my cash. It's okay, babe. I got my little girl in the car. She's oh. just 11 years old. Let me take her home. I'll drop her off, and I'll be right back to take sir, it out. I told you last time I gave you a break last week. You got to do it now. Look, tell, you know me, right? You remember me? Tell him I'll, I'll do what I said I'm going to do. Cass, turn, okay. Turn around, put your hands behind your back. We don't. This turn is around. ridiculous. Come on. I, it's, come on. Get away from him. Cass, go away. Cass, Just leave Cass, us alone. We didn't do anything. No. Put Daddy, the no. Down. I don't want you to go to jail. We did. Be okay. So, for somebody who doesn't know that much security forces, how do how you think I did? Uh, I mean, at least you shot. Uh, some people won't even draw their weapon. They kind of just stand there frozen, uh, don't know what happened. <laughs> they don't even can't even piece it together until after the scenario is over. Um, so, but as soon as you saw the gun, you did draw your weapon, which was good. Um, you just needed to fire it a little quicker because she kind of got her shot off before you did. Wow. So yeah. this is the kind of training you get yeah. with this simulator. So I think it covers pretty much everything. Yeah. We have uh, hundreds of scenarios. Um, and they're all really based off of any type of law enforcement situation that could happen. Some of these are actually real situations that have happened in real life, so they kind of simulated those because they can happen in real life. So, The Air Force isn't the only branch of service using virtual reality trainers. Airman First Class Amanda Dole is on Fort Eustis talking to the Army about how they take advantage of this technology. Virtual reality is a way for soldiers to experience real-world training without putting expensive equipment at risk. I sat down with the director for the Maritime and Intermodal Training Department to find out more about the way virtual reality is used here at Fort Eustis. I'm Donald Topping. I am the director for the Maritime and Intermodal Training Department, which we are part of the Transportation School. Uh, we utilize the simulator to perform a variety of critical task functions that we would normally perform on live equipment. Uh, we utilize the simulators to perform the task early in the training and then follow up with live training later. Okay, and I would assume this saves quite a bit of money. It does. We see a cost avoidance of about $7.5 million a year uh, on the vessel side. On the uh, cargo handling side, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about $600,000. Uh, part of that's because the, uh, the material handling equipment, forklifts and all, are a lot uh, cheaper, if you would, to operate hourly compared to the large vessels. What are the advantages of 
using the simulation training versus having them go out in the real world? Well, there's the initial, the, the cost avoidance. That's, that's one of the big advantages. Um, the other advantage is you can take a student, put them in a, in a fully immersive environment um, where you can increase the amount of risk involved in training, but there's no actual danger. If they crash and burn in a simulator, it's a matter of taking corrective action, talking the student through what they did wrong or what they could have done better. It's not always what they do wrong. Um, and then you reset the program and start again. It also allows you to look at a student to see if they understand the environment around them. And what I mean by that is, do they have situational awareness? Are they aware of all the little things that are going on? In the maritime side, it's wind, current, sea conditions, how the boat's reacting. Are they driving the boat or is the boat driving them? So it allows you to determine really early on if they have that situational awareness. Um, so it works out really well for us. You can take a student, put them in a dangerous situation. Uh, more advanced students, that's really the, the benefit of it. Um, let them use some of their experience and then really challenge them without ever putting anybody or any equipment in danger. Um, it allows the instructor to look at those students early on in the process and see if they fully understand what they're doing. The students that do understand, um, we kind of, not that we give them less time, it's just we focus more on the students that are having a harder time. So it, it really allows us to evaluate the individual and in how we go about training them. When I joined the military, I didn't know that you could serve your country by playing video games. I'm Airman First Class, Amanda Dole, Fort Eustis, Virginia. Thanks for listening. This has been The Whole Picture from JBLE Studios. For more stories like the ones you heard today, visit us at www.jble.af.mil and be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. I am your producer, Master Sergeant Benjamin Wilson, and the contributors on this show have been Senior Airman Jordan Garner, Senior Airman Christina Lacoste, Airman First Class Nicholas Myers, and Airman First Class Amanda Dole. Also, a special thanks to Jason Shaw, whose music we used in this production.